Welcome to the Commonwealth Magazine podcast in partnership with Transit Matters. I'm your host, Josh Fairchild. I'm a board member here at Transit Matters. And I'm Jim Aloisi, also a board member of Transit Matters, your co-host. Today we're joined by Matt Cassell. Matt is an attorney at MassPerg. Matt, could you tell us a little bit about what MassPerg is and your role there? Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Uh, MassPerg is a statewide nonprofit, nonpartisan consumer advocacy group. Um, we're member based, so we have thousands of members throughout the state. Um, we work on a variety of issues, from traditional uh, consumer issues um, like our our yearly toy safety report, um, as well as financial, uh, public health, environmental, and of course transportation. And PERG stands for Public Public Interest, Interest Research Group. Excellent. Yes. Before we really get into the meat of your report, uh, there was a um, financial management and control board uh, meeting of the MBTA on Monday where a big topic was the Transit Matters uh, sponsored um, night bus proposal, which is sponsored also along with the cities of Boston, Revere, Cambridge, Everett, and Somerville. Chelsea. And Chelsea. Uh, the list keeps growing. So um, we wanted to go ahead and address that and, and how that went because I know it's been in the media. So, Jim, I thought I would just throw that straight to you uh, to get started. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, I think there's been uh, a lot of reporting in the media about the outcome of the Fiscal Management and Control Board meeting in connection with NIPAS. So we wanted to make sure people understood uh, what has happened. And what's happened is we've been successful in moving the MBTA from whether we're going to have overnight service to how we're going to have that service operate and be implemented, which uh, we think is a really good place to be. And we, uh, and along with our municipal co-sponsors, intend to roll up our sleeves and be helpful in getting advancing this to the final stages so we can have overnight service in Boston begin uh, and Revere and Chelsea begin next July. Um, we're at a point now where basically we're looking at three implementation options. Will this service be provided by the MBTA itself? Will the service be provided by a third-party um, public or semi-public entity like Massport or Masco? Or three, will, it, will an RFP be issued and will the private sector step up to provide the service? We, being Transit Matters, have continually been agnostic on the question of how it's implemented. We agree with the T that it should be implemented in the most cost-effective manner. So we're fine with exploring the most cost-effective options, and we want to be helpful in that process. I just want to say one last thing, which is this overnight service is a a seven-day-a-week service between 1 a.m. and 4 a.m. It's designed and targeted to those people who are typically in low-wage jobs who work late-night shifts, the people in bars and restaurants and security and other places where most of us are asleep at night, they're working and they're getting out of work at 1 a.m., at 2 a.m., or after. Those people today, there's 50,000 of them in Boston, do not have a safe and affordable transit option. They have no transit option. And so from a matter of equity and from a matter of supporting jobs growth, we need to have overnight service for those folks. Boston is no longer a sleepy 20. Uh, sleepy city. It's a 24-7 city. Our growth is impressive. Our jobs growth is impressive. And when we hear people like the head of the Greater Boston Convention and Visitors Bureau say this will change people's lives, when we hear the CEO of Davio's Restaurant saying we need this for our workers, um, we know that we're on the right track. 
so that's our, that's my update. I'm looking forward to getting uh, to working with the T and the municipal co-sponsors so we can come back and let listeners know that Night Bus is a reality and going to happen uh, July 2018. I was just going to add, I think another portion of the board's request was just to see if they could uh, work with their internal partners to also find some operational savings if it was to be operated by the, by the T. Absolutely. And the Carmen's Union head was there at the meeting. He supports Night Bus. The question really is going to be, are there ways uh, in which the, the, the union and the workers, the T workers, can provide the lowest cost approach to providing the service. So we'll see what that looks like, and um, the decision will get made. I think the Carmen's Union expressed the view that they want to roll up their sleeves and be helpful too. So we're willing to work with anybody uh, together with the T and our municipal partners to make sure that this service is provided in the most cost-effective way. And uh, I think we'll get, it. we'll get there, and it'll be a success that everyone can celebrate. Now, Matt, um, not to leave you out of the discussion here, um, you came out with a very interesting um, report. Um, was it this week or last week? I feel like time is moving. Yeah, uh, yeah it came out last Thursday. Mm-hmm. And last week. you were sort of taking head on the, uh, the assumptions, or not the assumptions, but the methodology uh, that goes into some of the dashboard reporting about how, how well on-time performance uh, is doing with the subway lines, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so the T um, has a, a website, mbtabackontrack.com, where they um, house their, they call it the performance dashboard, which um, reports the performance uh, numbers of, a, of an, a, a several different, um, uh, in several different areas. One of them is reliability. Um, and we at Massburg um, sort of were taking a look at the dashboard and thinking about it and sort of coming from the angle of, um, I take the tea downtown every day for work. Um, all my colleagues do, a lot of my friends do. Um, and it's sort of part of my job to understand and think about the tea. So I found myself a lot, and I find myself a lot talking about um, my own or others' experiences with tea reliability. And so coming from, from there, and then looking at the numbers on the dashboard, something seemed like it wasn't quite adding up. The numbers on the dashboard report somewhere around 90% reliability. Um, and then looking even further, we look at some of the customer satisfaction surveys and upwards of 40 to 50% of uh, people who took some of those surveys reported that they didn't think that the T was reliable. So um, so from looking at that, we decided to to produce this report, um, which which like you said, um, does exactly that, looks at their methodology for reporting reliability. And um, we identified a few issues and came up with some some recommendations. Now, the way I understand it, um, to, to, to really simplify things, is that they are measuring how long people are waiting um, right. and from the time they tap their card entering the station till the time the train arrives. Well, can I just interrupt for a second? They're, correct me if I'm wrong. They're, they're measuring different modes differently. So subway, bus, commuter rail 
Correct. are not measured in the, with the same approach or same metrics. Correct. So, so let's focus. Do you want to focus on one mode, or do you want to yeah. explain the differences? Or yeah, I'll, I'll explain the differences. So the report really focuses on the subway, although we touch upon the commuter rail and the bus as well. So you're right. The way they measure subway reliability is the wait time as um, from once the rider gets in the station um, until they get on the train, and so. They set an outside wait time as equal to the scheduled headway. So if the headway is five minutes, um, if someone waits five minutes or less to get on a train, then that's counted as reliable. And I'll talk about some of the issues with that um, um, after this. But Matt, Jim, can we explain a little bit? Just listeners sure. may not even know what headway means, yeah, right? Yeah, sure. Headway, so headway is just the, the time... Um, the interval between trains. So if one train comes into the station at minute one, a five-minute headway would mean the second train is scheduled to come in at minute six. And the T establishes its frequency by headways. In other words, the T doesn't say the next red line train will arrive at 10.52. The T says the next train arrives in X minutes. Exactly. And there's a difference. Right. So we're dealing with their metric, which is headway measurement, not a specific time of day. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the schedule for the rapid transit lines, including the green line, the schedule will tell you in certain times of the day, periods of the day, early morning, peak, you know, midday, those things, it'll tell you what the interval is between trains, like every seven minutes or every 14 minutes or every 10 minutes. Exactly. Right, as opposed to telling you exactly what minute you need to be in the station to catch right. the train. Right, which is different from how they do it on the commuter rails, which is why they, they have a different measurement for commuter rail So that seems to make sense, right? So, okay, so if the train comes every seven minutes and the average person is waiting seven minutes for a train, then um, they're reliable, right? What's what's the problem there? Well, so there, there are a couple problems there. The first problem is that if you're actually meeting that seven-minute headway, the average person shouldn't be waiting seven minutes. And that, that was sort of the first test we did is... So if you're if you're actually meeting your headway goals and people are coming in you know at an exact equal distribution even though that might not be the case so it might not be exactly half but um, the average wait time should be about half the headway some people are coming in at minute one some people are coming in at minute seven so some people are waiting the full seven minutes but not everybody's waiting the full seven minutes so saying reliable for everybody is waiting the full seven minutes we think is is somewhat of a mischaracterization of how it actually works in the system. So if I show up at the red line and I wait my seven minutes and the train comes and it's full, which happens to me a lot, and I don't get on the train, how am I counted? Yeah, that's another problem. That's not taken into account at all. So I'm counted as seven minutes? Exactly. Even though... That train, I can't get on, and I'm waiting another five or longer minutes exactly. for the next train. Yeah, you're counted as reliable. So also, if you're saying the if there's a seven-minute headway and we're measuring, saying okay, the average passenger is waiting seven minutes, that means that there are passengers that might be waiting 14 minutes. Right. Yeah, exactly. So so the other problem with this is, is that... Um, well, yeah, one, the, if the average person is waiting seven minutes, then by definition there are people waiting more than seven minutes. Um, and so you're not, the, the, the T is not making its headway schedule. So goals. really this measurement really doesn't tell us if they're managing the headway as they're supposed to. It doesn't tell us if they're managing the headway as they're supposed to. And and the reason it it 
sort of came out this way is because the T is, is looking for a more rider-based metric versus a system-based metric. So if they just measured uh, reliability based on headway adherence alone, um, that's only taking into account what the trains are doing. They're looking to take into account a little bit more of what the individual riders are doing, which we think is a good um, way to go about it. It's a good goal. It's a good goal. Uh, I think the metric as it is right now is just incomplete. It's not quite there yet. So, I'm sorry, you did a little drilling down on the red line as mm. a case study. Yeah. And tell, talk a little bit about that, what you found in that case study. And I believe you looked at, uh, what, a 10-day period or a two-week period It, it was July. about a two-week period Two-week period this July. Mm-hmm. So tell us about that case study. Yeah, so, so I'll say that the other problem with the um, – the metric is that it, it doesn't take into account service disruptions along the line. So if you get on a train, even if you waited less than the headway, you may be delayed along the line. And so we were wondering, you know, there is there's an idea that this might catch up along the way because people down the, the way, if there are delays, people down the way might be waiting longer and so it'll even out. So we wanted to look in to see whether if it, it to see if it was actually catching some of these delays. So what we did is we took the text message alert of delays on the red line over a two week period in July and compared the delays on each day with the uh, subway reliability rating on the dashboard from that day. So there were days where there were 10 delay alerts, which was a lot, um, where the dashboard was reporting a 93% reliability. And then there were also days where there were zero delay alerts on the red line, um, which is good, but the dashboard was also reporting 93% reliability. Um, So the reliability rating, what we found from that study is the reliability rating really isn't isn't capturing those delays. But those delays certainly affect a rider's perception or a rider's actual reliability. So um, to put that into a rider context, let's say I get on the train at Forest Hills. It's supposed to take me about 22 minutes, more or less, say, to get to downtown crossing. And if there's a delay, it might take me 30 minutes to get there. This dashboard reporting doesn't capture that delay. Exactly. So, so they might say my train was on time because I only waited four minutes, um, but then my trip was too long. Right, right. right. So let's, th- let's think a little bit. Why? First of all, I want to say I think some of the people who put this dashboard <clears throat> together are people I know and who may have even worked for me when I was secretary. They're good people. Mm-hmm. They're smart people. And, and, and so I think your report and, and, and none of what we're saying here is meant to be critical as much as it's meant to be to assess What's happening, mm-hmm. and to provide some hopefully per, you know constructive input and, re- and reaction to it. I don't want people to think that we don't respect and respond to the good work they do. However, clearly there are is- there's a sort of a disconnect between the rider experience mm-hmm. and what's being reported out as performance. Let's talk a little bit about why would you measure this in the first place? What's the point of measuring this reliability? Isn't it to understand? both what the riders experience, but, uh, but also understand performance so that you can take corrective action if you notice that the metrics... So if that 93 is really not 93 but dropped mm-hmm. to something else, it might be an alert or a red flag to say, I'm, I'm, I'm using this dashboard in part to understand how I can best improve performance. It doesn't seem like that's working well enough if that dashboard's always showing great performance when, in fact, we know something else is going on. Yeah, exactly, and you're and you're definitely right about not not this 
is not intended to be critical of the, the people at the T. Um, and in fact, the, the point of this report is to sort of further what Massburg's been doing for years, and that's advocate for more investment in the T. We think um, a better T equals a, a better city and a better commonwealth. Um, um, but yeah, that's exactly right. I think there are, there are two major components to why you would measure and report reliability. And the first is um, to for an, an accountability purpose. So to let the public know and let the taxpayers know um, how the system is running. Um, it's to let riders know how the system is running, so what they should expect for their experience, and to let people know, um, you know, we've been putting money into the T. Um, a lot of that comes directly from taxpayers, um, and let people know um, how some of these reforms that we've been trying to do over the past few years or past several years are going. Um, the second part is and. And, and just as equally important is absolutely to let the T know how the system is performing. Um, if the system is performing well, then you know assets or resources can be dedicated elsewhere. If the system is not performing well, you need to know where it's not performing well, why it's not performing well, and how it's not performing well so that you can dedicate the resources needed to fix it. So the old adage, you cannot manage what you cannot measure, exactly. is exactly what's at the core of this. It's about transparency, it's about credibility, and it's about managing what you're going to measure. Exactly. Now, I had read about you know, the dashboard when they first introduced it and, and read about the, the way they were measuring things. And when I, first, when I read your report, it first clicked for the first time um, that some of the logic in the measurement might be a little bit circular. So Because I, the first thing I thought <laughs> was a personal anecdote of, well, of course, I'm never going to wait, you know, longer than the average headway because I have this app on my phone that I'm going to pull out when I'm ready to leave wherever I'm at, and I'll say, well, how long till the next train? And if it's more than a few minutes, well, I'm just not going to go to the station. I'll just keep doing whatever I'm doing. <laughs> Why would I enter the station and wait? So to the extent that customers know how long the wait is, no customer would ever wait longer than when the next train is. It has nothing to do with the headway. It has to do with the fact that the customer knows when the train is coming. Um, so that would sort of reinforce it not mattering if they're managing headways very well. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's true of a lot of riders, maybe not every rider, um, which is why I think the, the wait time metric is, is still worthwhile as part of the equation. But it's not the entire equation. And it's in a, it, you're right. For people who are looking on their app and they know the, what the wait time will be and they're entering the station, um, based on that, it, it doesn't really measure their experience at all. Um, what it does, part of the problem it can cause, though, is, is the, the overcrowding problem. And so people, if there are long headways and people are waiting, um, or if the train's not reliable, not meeting its headway goals, people are waiting, more and more people end up at the platform, then you're looking at your app, you know when the train's coming, you come down and get in right before the train comes, and it's a overcrowded platform and you're not able to get on the train. Um, there's a problem there. But so to, to sort of... Um, By the way, that, oh. that capacity, that's a big problem, what you just said, because capacity is a big problem. It's not... One of the issues that we're dealing with every day at the T, obviously, is not simply that there may be equipment failures or system signal failures, but it's that this, much of the system is at or over capacity. Mm -hmm. So if we're not able to measure that person I mentioned who's standing there for that seven minutes... Find the train shows up and can't get on the train because it's a sardine can, mm -hmm. then we're not accurately also uh, identifying 
for people, for the system, the issues of capacity that require investment, that require rethinking. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there are initiatives to deal with capacity. We know that. But again, you can't manage what you can't measure, mm-hmm. right? And so if your approach to measuring is skewed, if it's not measuring in a way that allows for complete understanding of what's going on, there's less reason to feel like it's urgent to solve actual everyday problems in the short term. And I think that's part of the concern that many advocates have. Yeah. Let me, let me characterize, to sum up, characterize wh- where, where this report sort of leaves us, and you can correct this characterization uh, before we move on. So it, it sounds like um, rather than measuring purely headway maintenance um, on the operational side, the T has chosen to focus on a, a more customer-centric metric. Um, the problem exposed by your report um, is that the metric does not accurately capture the customer experience because of a, a few issues that, that you reported on. So we basically, we're, now we have a metric that is not accurately reporting operational headway maintenance, nor is it accurately reporting the customer experience. Um, so it's re- really sort of giving us neither. Yeah, I, I think that's true. Um, I, I think, though, the, the T still has the data to measure the headway adherence. Um, I think that for the, the the purpose of the public reporting on the on the dashboard, um, the goal is to be rider centric. So that's why I think even though yes, it doesn't measure strict headway adherence, I still think we're moving in the right direction. Um, and and I'll say so to sort of address some of these problems. What we suggest in the report is adding in an excess journey time measurement. Into the into the reliability rating, and so that's you know that takes into account the entire ride. It would say so you get on the train, um, and then like you were saying, your normal ride is supposed to be twenty minutes coming from Forest Hills. Um, if your ride is over twenty minutes, this rating would take into account the time that you spend on the train in excess of what you should spend. Um, now there are. Some issues doing this in Boston, given that we don't have tap out, meaning you can't, you don't, riders don't tap their cards to get out of the system. So there's no perfect measurement of when someone enters the system and exits the system. But um, I think that the T can use sort of its headway adherence data to use that. So they know when people are coming into the system. They know uh, if their trains are on time. They know when their trains are getting into stations. So they know when people are getting to each station. If the people are coming in the station and getting to a station late and the train is getting to you know, a station down the line late, then you can calculate the excess journey time. Uh, now, that being said, um, I believe it was a Boston Globe report um, or a Boston Globe article kind of reporting on, on, what, on what you were saying about the, the T's metrics. And they interviewed uh, someone with the Transit Center in New York, and they said, well, it sounds like the T's metric is a pretty reasonable way to try to go about measuring this. Um, I don't necessarily want to ask you to disagree with the Transit Center characterization of the T's metric, but just to say, are there other transit uh, agencies that are measuring the way that you've suggested just now? Yeah, there there are uh, um, the London in London. Um, they use a excess journey time metric that takes into account both wait time and on train time. And I'll say that the transit center um, quote I believe was talking strictly about the wait time metric um, and not uh, not necessarily disagreeing with incorporating excess journey time into a, relia- a reliability metric. I think they were saying that using the headway as the outside. Um, um, as the acceptable wait time was not entirely unreasonable. 
Um, from our perspective, it's just that's that doesn't necessarily reflect what an actual writer's experience would be. And I'll say that London, as well as using the excess journey time, in their wait time metric, which they incorporate into the overall metric, they do set the, the acceptable wait time as half of the headway, um, um, taking in, into account the fact that you know average wait times should be less than the actual headway if you're meeting the headways. So I'm wondering whether the introduction of AFC 2.0 will help the T in terms of its ability to, to measure differently, more like London does, because they'll, uh, I'm not sure if AFC 2.0 is going to require a tap-out or not, but I think that it'll probably create a much more robust data set that will enable m- better uh, approaches to measuring these metrics. Yeah, I think anything that improves and 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 gets us more comprehensive a more comprehensive data set is going to help. It's going to give us more options. Um, so, absolutely. I mean, with more data, you can do more. Mm-hmm. Did the, I, I have had a challenging couple of weeks, so I may have missed. Uh, did the T have a sort of official response to your report? What, what, did they, what do they have to say about this? Yeah, the, um, they, the T, uh, in their official response, sort of acknowledged some of the limitations of the, of the reliability metric. Um, they seem to, to not totally disagree with the idea that an excess journey time metric would be a, a, a good measure. Um, they, they are sort of like transit center standing by the, the wait time metric. Um, but it sounds like from the T's perspective, they, they are looking to improve this. They are working with MIT and UMass Amherst to, to improve on the metric, um, which we welcome, we think is great. Um, um, I'll just say it's you know it's been reported this way for for the entire time the dashboard has been um, has been online and so that's that's why we thought this report was important to sort of get out there and, and bring this issue sort of um, uh, into the limelight a little bit but um, the 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 T definitely seems to be willing to to look at this and find a more comprehensive and a better way to measure uh, subway reliability. Do you, do you have an idea of how, uh, is this, the measurement that the T is reporting on their dashboard, is that similar to the way other transit agencies in the U.S. are reporting this, or, or is it being reported? In the place, so I'll say I think that the, the performance dashboard is one of the better um, platforms for re- reporting this, and I think the T is doing a really good job of making these numbers public um, and accessible. Um, other transit agencies, uh, s- some do a little bit more comprehensive, um, like Denver uses a, a bit of a more comprehensive wait time metric. Um, New York right now is trying to implement a, a metric that's more similar to London. And other transit agencies just do sort of system-based metrics like headway adherence. Um, but the trend seems to be more towards this rider-centric um, comprehensive metric with London really being the industry standard. Well, I think one of the, one of the concerns uh, that, that we would have is um, obviously, we want the right things being reported um, that, that reflect the truth of what's happening for, for the customers. Um, but you know, the numbers that we need are available, if, you know, to, to, to be researched um, by folks who are interested. Um, but one of the things about the dashboard is that is the most—it's almost like a PR, you know, page 
to where any news agency, any customer, anyone you know doing service level work is going to go straight to that dashboard. So there is some concern that if if they continue to use a metric that is is questionable, perhaps that. Um, there's not a lot of um, weight behind making the change. And in fact, making the change would make things look worse because you're sort of reporting the way things actually have been for a while. Um, so I guess there would be some concern about some political reasons not to make that change. Is, have you heard any... Do you have any reason to believe that that would be part of the calculation? Yeah, I, I, I don't. I haven't heard anything like that. And what I've heard from the T is that you know their goal is to is to report a, a good and accurate reliability metric, and they're working to improve what they have now. I have no reason not to believe that. Um, so I, you know, I haven't heard anything like that. I think you know that's something that people um, when they hear about sort of this issue and especially when they see that 90% number and and it really doesn't ring true with them, that's something that people might feel. Um, And so I think when it comes to the T's efforts to increase transparency and credibility and accountability, that it's actually in their in their favor and it benefits them to be reporting truer and and numbers that really um, resonate with riders. And, and use a metric that really makes sense to people. And I think the average, let's be honest, the average T rider is not looking at these dashboards. Right? This is a, this is something that, that transit geeks are doing, and that's good. Yeah. But the real issue is that you know the FMCB is probably getting this dashboard to it on a regular basis, so it sees it and it looks right. at ninety three, and what does it think is happening? And so there's, I think that's the real sort of virtue of. Of casting light on it, and 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 again, not being critical, but saying we're we're we want to sort of think about how we can help people approach improving this so that it more accurately reflects conditions in real life. Right. Right. Well, Matt, I want to thank you again for doing this report, for writing it, for putting it out there, for adding to the conversation, um, for making us aware of of information um, that is helpful for the rider experience and for the T to to assist in the rider experience uh, being better and being reported uh, in the correct way. And thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks, Matt. Once again, I'm Josh Fairchild. I'm Jim Aloisi. We're with Transit Matters, and thank you for listening to the podcast. (laughs) 